Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Warren Buffett's secret sauce. Literally, he writes about his secret sauce in the brand new Berkshire Hathaway 2022 update of the urine review. And we're going to talk about that secret sauce. We'll read some of the letter, save you a little bit of time here on the Retire Sooner podcast and look at the astonishing rates of return that Warren Buffett has achieved over time. And then how that relates back to the lesson today, this one just seemingly small shift, one little thing that can make a $2 million difference in the life just of an average investor. All here today on the Retire Sooner podcast with me, Wes Moss, not Russ Moss, Mallory Producer Mallory joins. Hi, Mallory. Hi, thank you for having me. For some reason, we continue, and I may have to start saying my name, Wes, as in W, because for, no matter how long I've been on the air doing podcasts or doing radio, it's still, somebody in our Facebook group just this week said, according to Russ Moss with an R, what is that? I don't know, but I kind of like it. You know, we were talking about it, and I could totally see this being your Yellowstone alter ego, Russ Moss with a cowboy hat. Yeah. Yeah, put the cowboy hat and some spurs. Exactly. It is pretty interesting, but it is, again, your host, Wes Moss with a W, not Russ. And But I still think it's kind of interesting after all these years. I do, too. I do, too. So this was kind of one of these things. It's not as though I, I am having this excitement. I'm waiting for the Buffett annual review to come out. But every time it does, it's just like a goldmine of wisdom. And I found myself early morning the weekend that this came out in a gravel parking lot before one of my kids sporting events. And I had had to get them there, let's say an hour early. It was still a little chilly. So I was just sitting in the car reading the letter, re reading the letter, just thinking it's just so simple, but it's also a gold mine. And I think that's what it is. Investing is so simple. It's just not easy. We have to constantly be reminded with really good examples from people that have done it before us to remind us of the path and the journey that we're on. It's, it is long, it's arduous, it's methodical, it takes forever. But when you hear the word secret sauce in a Buffett letter, you think, wait a minute, what's he going to tell me? And I'll read a little bit. Of, can you think of what the secret sauce is? Um, well, I know he loves McDonald's. Does it have anything to do with that? That's good. <laughs> That's very good. He does love it. Remember he... he is one of the few people with a McGold card. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, he's probably one of the few ones with a McGold card that actually uses the McGold card, too. <laughs> he, would, he still probably uses it. He still gets his 
hamburger or cheeseburger every day. And a Diet Coke, right? Cherry Coke. Cherry Coke. Uh, well, Cherry Cokes are delicious, to be fair. They are delicious. And I actually tried, I had, I had one of my kids get a Cherry Coke the other day because they like Dr. Pepper and they got a Cherry Coke and they didn't, they didn't like it. How, really? But when you use a fountain, they're, they're very inconsistent. And I tasted it. It was not like the cherry. It was just a, the fountain was off. Oh, yeah. That makes all the difference. Now, where was the fountain, though? Because I feel like McDonald's fountains, they actually do, I think, have a special formula with Coca-Cola or this something. This is at another burger joint. Uh, this is not a McDonald's. Uh, see, so you got to go with McDonald's for that secret sauce, just like Warren Buffett likes. So here are the numbers. And we'll start out with that because if you go back, one of the interesting things that the Berkshire Hathaway, again, Berkshire Hathaway is the investment company that Buffett and Charlie Munger still run. It's also a publicly traded company. So again, remember, this isn't, it's not an endorsement to run out and buy the stock. This is really much about his resume or history as an investor. And he tries to tell you how he got to where he is in the most recent letter. And here are the statistics right out of the gate. And this is why you might want to pay attention when Warren Buffett starts talking about his sauce. Well, he goes back to 1965, which was the first year that he has reference of Berkshire Hathaway. And then that's in one column. And very simply, the next column is the S&P 500. So each year you can see in 1966, he was down 3%, 3.4, or the Berkshire Hathaway was, and the S&P 500 was down 11. In 1973, Berkshire Hathaway... The company, their rate of return was 8.1%. The S&P was up 18.9%. So it gives you year by year by year play. But what you really want to see as an investor, what's staggering to look at is at the very bottom, you see the overall gain, compounded annual gain, 1965 through 2022. And then the overall gain is a full percentage. So during that period of time, the S&P 500 category on average, this is since 1965, they have listed at 9.9% effectively a 10% rate of return on average over that whole period of time. Now there's some huge up years and some huge down years, of course, for both the S&P 500 and for Buffett, as you can imagine. Compounded annual gain for Berkshire Hathaway in reference to the 9.9, we'll call it rounded to about 10. Berkshire Hathaway at 19.8. So about 10% for the S&P 500, about 20% for Berkshire. We're talking about a really big difference here. But 10 versus 20 sounds like a lot, but wait till you get to the total overall gain, just the total percentage overall gain. S&P 500, if you let money be invested that whole time, and yes, reinvesting dividends, S&P 500 would have given you now a gain of 24,708%. I'll say it again. Total S&P 500, if you left and invested all the way back from 1965 through 2022, 24,708%. Pretty amazing, right? How about Buffett's? Do you want to take a step? I didn't, you didn't see this. So just what's your guess? So the S&P 500 was, has been about 10 and he's been about 20. S&P 500 cumulatively about 20, let's just round it 25,000%. What do you think Berkshire Hathaway is? So, you know, we know that the average is double, but this is obviously not going to just be double. So let's go ahead and let's say if it's 25,000 for the S&P and so double would be 550, right? 50,000. So maybe this his is 100,000? 100,000%. 100,000%? I think that's a fair guess. And this is why it's so hard for our minds to conceptualize compounding, 
little bit extra compounding means a lot? And here's the answer. 3,787,464%. And I was worried I was going to be high. <laughs> you, you thought you'd be a little high. One is, again, a 10% difference over that long of a period of time is it, it makes a staggering, almost unfathomable, almost incomprehensible gain. 25,000% versus 3.7, 3.8 million percent rate of return. Isn't that just staggering? It is, but you've got to give me like some kind of like real numbers to get my head around this. I knew you were going to ask me that. And I want, I thought the exact same thing as I thought, Hey, this is a really good topic for retire sooner. Let's put some numbers to those percentages. And I came up with 50 bucks. I think $50 tells the story mathematically. And it also relates a little bit to what we're about to talk about here in a minute as well. But if you were to have $50, one compound, and I did this as I entered in the annual rate of return for the 58 years, which is what Buffett's talking about in his letter. So one at 9.9%, one at 19.8%, the difference between the two. So if you start with 50 bucks back in 1965, and it compounds over that entire period of time at 9.9%, a measly $50 turns into almost $12,000. So again, not a small rate of return at all. Considering going from 50 bucks to almost $12,000. Take the same $50 compounded at 19.8% and that turns into 1.7 almost 1.8 million. So call it almost $2 million versus 12,000. That's the difference between those rates of return. That's that's incredible. So maybe we don't find the next part Warren Buffett and we make 20% a year on average, which are what these numbers are showing. And it's these spectacular $3.7 million. Just the S&P 500 here at almost 10% a year, that in itself is still a game-changing rate of return over a long period of time for people. We don't have to end up at a 20% compounded year-over-year -year rate of return to really make a huge difference. And that's what today's podcast is all about. If we just get market rates of return, it can make a massive difference. Even if we don't find the new brand new young Warren Buffett who's just starting out his spectacular 3.7 million percent rate of return. That pesky old average 10% rate of return for the market still does wonders. And most investors never even sniff that 9 or 10% rate of return. And today's a reminder that if we can, and we can, we can achieve that, putting aside the pie in the sky Buffett rate of return from his very beginnings, it can still work wonders for our retirement assets. And that's the example we're going to go into today. I'll also couch this by saying every time I hear one of these examples, I inherently think, well, that's great. That's in the past. Thanks a lot. It's, I've missed the boat. And I think that it's important to always... At least I think that when I hear about rates of return, I think, oh, well, that's great, but that's in the past. It's already been done. And I'm not saying we're going to go find, and I'm not saying you as our listeners are going to go find the next Buffett and, and compound to 20% per year. That is a needle in a haystack rate of return. That is some of the rarest, rarest investment performances maybe we'll ever see. And even Buffett will tell you today that there's no way he could replicate that because back when he started, he had a much, much smaller fund. A few right choices early on really helped his rate of return. And it was one thing to be able to do that when they were tens or hundreds of millions. It's another when they're now dealing in 
hundreds of billions. But the point, and I think what makes this letter so interesting, is he talks about his secret sauce. Kind of, hey, how did we do this? Well, all right. I feel like you're building up here a lot. So what, what is the secret all right, sauce? So here's what he says in his letter. After 58 years at Berkshire Management, most of my capital allocation decisions have been no better than so-so. Really? He says, he says he's so-so. What, what? I mean, this is the best investor of like our lifetime. Of our and generation. He, and he thinks that he's a so-so? In some cases, also bad moves by me have been rescued by very large doses of luck. Oh, well, I think that's something we can all probably relate to at some point in our life. So he says secret sauce, and he gives some examples. August of 1994, Berkshire completed a seven-year, it took them seven years to purchase 400 million shares of Coca-Cola. The total cost was $1.3 But he said back then, that was a meaningful sum. So even back in 1994, wait, that wait. was a lot of money for Berkshire. The cash dividend from Coke back in 1994 was $75 million dollars to Berkshire. By 2022, the dividend had increased to 704 million. Wow, hang on, wait, so is, wow, is that really where, that's gotta be where a lot of that return is coming from then, right? That's huge. Here he says, growth occurred every year, just as certain as birthdays, and this is in his letter. And I think what he's referring to there is not growth of the, the stock because the stock went up and down, but the dividend. And we talk a lot about dividends here on the Retire Sooner podcast. All Charlie and I, that's Charlie Munger's partner, were required to do was cash Coke's quarterly dividend checks. <laughs> and we expect those checks are highly likely to grow. Gives another example, American Express. In this case, he says, look, this is much of the same story. They completed their purchase of American Express back in 1995. Coincidentally, it cost about the same as the Coca-Cola position, $1.3 billion. Annual dividends received that first year were $41 million. Now, or last year, they received $302 million in dividends on that original purchase. Those checks, too, Buffett says, seem highly likely to increase. These dividend gains, though pleasing, are far from spectacular. They bring with them important gains in stock prices. At year end, their Coca-Cola investment was valued at $25 billion, so I think $1.3 to $25. Amex recorded at about $22 billion. So both went from about a billion to $22 to $25 billion. Each holding now accounts for roughly 5% of Berkshire's net worth akin to its waiting long, long ago. Now, assume for a moment that I'd made a similarly sized investment back in the 1990s, one that flatlined and simply just retained the $1.3 billion value. He says an example would have, would have been a high-grade 30-year bond. That disappointing investment would now represent an insignificant 0.3 of 1% of Berkshire's net worth, and would be delivering to us an unchanged $80 million or so of annual income. So the lesson for investors, and this is him summing up his secret sauce, the weeds wither away in significance as the flowers bloom. Over time, it just takes a few winners to work wonders. And yes, it helps to start early and live in your 90s as well. Nothing like Warren Buffett, right? So I, I looked this up and it looks like that's just a new quote from him. It doesn't, I haven't heard that quote before. The weeds wither away in significance as the flowers bloom. But really all he's saying in the secret sauce is invest in stocks. He's saying that he didn't do anything magical, 
that these were, if they were 30-year bonds for that amount of money, it sounds like they still would have been a pretty big chunk. It was, still would have been about 5% when they first acquired it. But because it, you would have gotten no growth in the bond, its overall weight in Berkshire would be down to less than a half a percent. While the other examples that he used are still decent chunks of Berkshire, 5%. But what's so astonishing, but he calls it so-so, and hardly, or he says, far from spectacular, is that the amount of dividends that those positions are now paying. Full disclosure, I am affiliated with Capital Investment Advisors, which is a full service and a fee-only financial planning and investment management firm in Atlanta and Denver and Tampa and Phoenix or wherever you are. And if you'd like to take your retirement planning or retire sooner journey to the next level, Capital Investment Advisors would love to help. You can find our team and schedule a time to chat right at yourwealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R wealth.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. The other reason I wanted to bring this example here, and this is this one small shift, spoiler alert, it's the shift of actually being an investor versus just a saver, comes from understanding the five money secrets of the happiest retirees. I was sitting down, looking at this, doing some videos the other day, going through one checkpoint, a minimum or median liquid amount of assets of 500,000 close to 900,000 is the average, 500K was the median. Two, mortgage payoff with insight. Three, multiple, multiple streams of income. Skip number four for a second. Five, understanding the 4% plus spending rule. That's the, how do we take our money, max it out without running out? How do we maximize our, our withdrawals without running out? But number four goes back to becoming an income investor. Saving alone just does not cut it. And happy retirees are investors, not just savers. It's almost just too much work to get to a point of financial security and a point of financial freedom if you're through savings alone. Your money also has to be carrying some of the water as well. Your money has to be working as well. Which brings me to this very, very different picture between Jack and Jill. So Mallory, Jack is the saver, Jack the saver, and Jill is the investor. Oh, Jack and Jill. They are a favorite pair of mine. Let's see which one will be a happy retiree. Is it going to be Jack or Jill? Let, I, wait, can I, can I guess on this one? You, can, you, <laughs> you know the answer to this I'm one. I'm going to guess it's Jill. Jill the investor, not Jack the savior, because here, here's the difference. Let's say, and this is, again, a very practical amount of money. 
I have uh, another podcast that's coming up that'll be released very soon that you will, you'll want to listen to, which is with Dr. Burton Malkiel, the author of A Random Walk Down Wall Street. And just, again, such a good reminder to just participate, just be in the market, be an investor. Huge difference between just being a saver. And he hammers this point home again. And I don't think you can hear it or listen to this enough. We all need a reminder of this. Bert, as he asked me to call him, will tell you that one of his favorite things about writing this perennial book called A Random Walk Down Wall Street, it's now in its 50th year, is the letters that he gets from what he calls just ordinary, everyday Americans that never made a whole lot of money, that just listen to his advice of investing in a low-cost index fund for the vast majority of their retirement funds, and today have a million and a half, two million, three million, four, five million dollars just from really not, not huge savings, but a little bit of savings that then compounded at around 10% a year that turned into millions. That is what Bert will tell you at age 90 still is delighted by the letters he gets from the book that changed people's lives. And it's just this one small difference. The difference between sticking money away in a money market, like Jack in my example that I'm about to share and Jill, the investor. So let's say, and here's that they both were good savers. They both were good savers. Thousand bucks a month for 32 years. Think age 30 to age 62. So if you're listening, you're in your 20s right now. This example, you haven't even started to save it. It's okay. And 62, by the way, is still pretty darn young to retire. There was a there's a recent article in the Wall Street Journal that talks about the 60-year career. 60-year career is becoming more and more likely for Americans because people don't save, people don't invest. They do neither of what Jack and Jill is doing. And what is the answer there is that we essentially have to just keep working and working and working. You start at age 20 working, you work to age 80. That's becoming more and more of a mainstream idea. It's the opposite of the Retire Sooner podcast, but it is on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, the 60-year career. If you're going to have a 60-year career, I hope you really love what you do. Or how many different jobs are you going to be in? I also that. Okay, back to the example. 1000 bucks a month. For 32 years, age 30, age 62, yeoman's work. If you sock all that money away in a savings account, great work. And let's just assume you would have gotten or averaged 1% a year, compounded return your money all, over all those years. It would have been really easy to do that. Because one, we've had a period of time where interest rates were virtually zero. And we had a, call it a decade where money paid virtually nothing or, or actually nothing, not even 1%. There's some periods of time when interest rates are a lot higher and money markets were paying two or three or 4%. Like today, you can get over 4% in a money market. But guess what? The banks make it hard for you to do that. You can go in today's world for most financial institutions, not all, but you have to manually go buy a money market fund in order to have a higher rate of return. Otherwise, if you leave the money in a ordinary bank deposit, they're going to pay you as close to zero as they can, even if interest rates are higher. So it's not inconceivable at all for a, quote, just saver to get a 1% on average rate of return over that 32-year period. Now, let's make this one small change that makes a world of difference. 
instead of using the money market, you invested all that money in some sort of stock-based index mutual fund or ETF. It does. I'm not even saying it has. To, it's the S&P 500 or the or the Russell 2000. I'm just saying that whatever the stock index you used assumed a 10% compounded annual rate of return. As an example, rate of return S&P 500 dividends reinvested from 1990 through 2020 is just one 30-year example. Averaged over 10.5%. So again, averaged over 10.5% per year, compounded on average. For illustration purposes here, we're just using a 10% round number for our investor return. Again, 10% now for investors, Jill, the investor, 1% for savers, Jack, the saver, the results. Jack, the saver, who got a 1% annual rate of return, ends up with about $400,000. So here are the results. Jack, the saver, who gets a 1% annual rate of return, ends up with around $450,000. Jill, the investor, at a 10% rate of return, ends up with a little over $2.4 million. The difference between Jack, the saver, and Jill, the investor, is approximately $2 million. One change, a $2 million difference. The very difference that Warren Buffett talks about in his letter, which is his secret sauce, all he's really saying is that I could have bought a 30-year treasury bond. It would have given me the same amount of interest as the stocks that I was buying that were paying me dividends. The big difference is that the bond is still worth the same 30 years later, giving me the same amount of income. The stocks, and again, this is a super simple concept that Buffett even says that far from fantastic or far from magical, not only are the stock prices up 20 or 25x, the amount of income is up dramatically relative to what would have happened in a scenario that's much closer to Jack the Saver, just putting money in a bond or putting money in a money market. And it's that difference that can make all the difference when it comes to what your retirement looks like. And HROBs, happiest retirees on the block, they know it's not enough to be just a saver. They've got to be investors, investors in stocks, markets, equities. I don't think it really matters if you're a growth investor or a dividend investor. Value, growth, small cap, large cap, international, all of those may very well succeed over time. But what links them all together is that they're all investing strategies around companies, equities. Now, yes, in my experience, HROBs, and I'm probably a little biased here, but happiest retirees on the block, they tend to gravitate towards income and dividends, typically because they are not saving anymore. They've already accumulated all they can accumulate, and now they're having their money work for them, and they're in a more distribution phase. You start to appreciate dividends, I think, more once you get into that phase. Doesn't mean they can't work in your early 20s, all the way through, just like Warren Buffett has done. But the most important piece of the puzzle here, Buffett calls it the secret sauce, it's really not that much of a secret, is have enough capital to be able to stop working and retire sooner. Retirement in America is difficult enough. I think it's, I think it's almost impossible if you're not an investor. And that's the, that's the secret sauce. That's what Buffett's talking about. That's what, similar to what you'll hear in the Burton Malkiel interview that'll be out very soon here on the Retire Sooner podcast. And it's the it, perhaps the biggest difference between people who are able to not just retire sooner, but retire at all relative to those who won't ever be able to. 
And they'll end up with this 60-year career that the Wall Street Journal is starting to talk about now. Now, Wes, I do have to ask, if we're talking about a 60-year career, is it ever too late to start investing in stocks? I think, first of all, it's never too late to be a happy retiree, one. Two, sure, if you're 70 and you've never saved anything, is it too late? I don't know if it's ever too late, but at some point, practically, yeah, it becomes too late to, to, to be able to amass a whole bunch of money. But if you haven't started in your 40s, 50s, that's no big deal. I've seen many people not even start because their life was expensive, their kids were expensive, their kids went to college, and they didn't even really start saving much until their mid-40s or even their 50s, and then they played catch-up. Now, did they still have to probably work another 15, another 20 years? Sure. Did they have the advantage of being in higher-earning years of their career? Yes. So I think it's never too late to be a happy retiree. For the most part, it's almost never too late to start saving. But at some point, you got to get going. And that's just that's just the reality of this is a very long game. And we want to start it as soon as we can, understanding that not everybody gets to start when they're 21. It's okay if you're 41. It's okay if you're 51. But it gets harder and harder the longer we wait. So sure, Mallory, I'd love to say that it's never too late. You can start when you're 100. But we've, we've got to get, we've got to get practical if we're going to be a happy retiree. And that, and that is what brought us to this episode. We remember the happy retiree checkpoints, $500,000 minimum, bare minimum liquid retirement savings. That's not a net worth number. That's just a liquid retirement savings number. And the average is closer to a million. Number two, mortgage payoff within sight. Three, multiple streams of income. And what we just covered, number four, We've got to be some sort of investor. We talk about in our writings and our teachings, become an income investor because when you get in retirement, you do tend to like steady cash flow. But the reality is it's savings alone just doesn't cut it. We've got to be some sort of investing vehicle that we can get close to that number that Buffett compares every year on his annual letter. He puts his rate of return for Berkshire Hathaway right next to the S&P 500 with dividends reinvested. And number five, remember and understand the 4% plus spending rule, which is a way to figure out how, how you can use the pot of money that you've accumulated and use as much as you can without running out. How do you max out your withdrawals? How do you max it out without running out? Put all this together and you get a pretty good shot of being able to retire sooner and becoming a happy retiree. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This is provided as a resource for informational purposes and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. The mention of any company is provided to you for informational purposes and as an example only and is not to be considered investment advice or recommendation or an endorsement of any particular company. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing involves 
risk, including possible loss of principal. There is no guarantee offered that investment return, yield, or performance will be achieved. The information provided is strictly an opinion and for informational purposes only, and it is not known whether the strategies will be successful. There are many aspects and criteria that must be examined and considered before investing. This information is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment, tax, estate, or financial planning considerations or decisions. Investment decisions should not be made solely based on information contained herein.